Welcome to the Legends of Master Show, everyone. I'm your host, Tom Wheeler, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. He is a master puppeteer, and he has voiced and brought life to some of the most endeared characters ever created. Welcome to the show, legendary Steve Whitmire. Hello, sir. Well, thank you. I, I I was thinking, do I get to be a master or a legend? I, I guess it's good to be a legend, I suppose. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I think you kind of fit both categories on my end, but it's oh, okay. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, again, thank you uh, so much for taking time to be on the show. Uh, I know things are uh, pretty crazy out there in the world, and uh, you've been uh, busy to say the least. Actually, I, I kind of want to uh, dive right into. Uh, sure. I, I think this, this is amazing. I mean, there's so much to cover. Uh, we're not going to cover every inch of your career. We'll be here all week, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll have to. But, we'll, have, we'll have to take a forty-year do a forty-year podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but can you go. I, I love this uh, character. And that is Kaven with Weldon, the IT guy. Uh, what kind of uh, brought this about? Uh, you know, create, creating this character for you. Well, you know, I was um, interested to do something that was going to be low budget. First of all, I yeah. wanted to fiddle around, and I wanted to find a way to do something that would be fun to be a part of the internet. Um, and one of my favorite things to do in my whole life and career is to do characters when we're improvising with a character. Okay. You know, it, it, it's um, it's something I loved doing with the Muppets for years. I loved it when we did those guest appearances on the Today Show or the Tonight Show or something like that. Yes. And they were unscripted and we just got to play. I always felt like the characters, like a character like Kermit would would grow during those appearances because you're not depending yeah. on something that's written. You're, you're having to be fast on your feet and, and, and throw something out there. So sometimes I would find out things about the characters that uh, I didn't know before the show started. Um, so I love doing Interesting. that. I, I love talking with, with an audience or with a group of people or one-on-one -on -one kind of things. So that's basically what this idea is that people can, you know, call in via discord. I mean, you don't, Use yeah. the phone anymore. But you call in and you can speak with Weldon, who's this internet troll. And basically he's um, <laughs> his whole his whole his whole thing is he wants to hear about your the most miserable thing that's happened to you okay. since <laughs> since last month's show, you know. So he wants to concentrate on your misery. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I, I, and that's the other interesting thing is uh building the character. I would love you, uh, especially for the audience uh tuning in. I mean, everybody definitely knows your body of work. Um, but like, I want to hear from your aspect, just creating the character and the, and the importance of character and bring on the, the lineage of character moving forward as well. Sure. Uh, do you go into the, the importance of, of that, the, the, the nuances of developing the character? Well, yeah. And I, and I have an appreciation for it for, for many reasons. One is because when I first started doing this, I, I had no experience doing that at all. Um, I, I started with the Muppets really when I was about 18 or 19 and I had done a lot of puppetry. So I knew how to put on a puppet and make it talk and stuff. I, the, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I had a lot to learn on that too, but the one thing I had not done really at all was technically learning about character development, acting in that way. Interesting. And it's, okay. it, it's so important when you're basically trying to present believable characters to the world that are essentially made of the same thing as your sweatshirt. You know, I mean, they're not real, you know, I mean, I mean, they are real cause they're physical, but, but they're not alive. And the whole point of puppetry is to try to make them seem, and, and my way of looking at it is not just alive. It's to make them seem conscious. They need to be thinking. Interesting. Um, yeah. Just like you and I now, I mean, you know, um, and, and, and a real interesting question to me, this is getting into all kinds of stuff you could talk about forever, which I won't. Right. But is what is it that constitutes us knowing that we are alive? How do I know you're a real person and how do you know I am? You know, presuming right. you, you think I am. But, <laughs> but, you know, and so then you take those, those elements and you find out how you can put as many of those as possible into wow. this inanimate thing, you know? Wow, that's so interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and imagine too. You know, obviously, the more you do it, it, it becomes more natural. I mean, I think I heard you in interviews saying it. You know, what's that like? So at some point, uh, you're you're talking. Uh, let's say it's Kermit the Frog, for example, right. and it's like I, I'm not Steve anymore. I'm. What, what is that like? That's pretty surreal. Well, it is a little bit surreal. Um, I don't think that happens the first time out. You know, I mean, I I, th I think something like that might begin to kind of a, a state of mind you get in almost, you know? I mean, obviously I never f 
forgot that I was in the middle of working a puppet exactly, but it, it, it started, it, it was as though there was a part of these characters that I had done for some time that were separate from me. You know, they, they, they have a, a place in the world for, you know, Jim Henson was Kermit for 35 or more years. Oh yeah. But there was almost as though there was a, a Kermit the Frog in the world and there was a Jim Henson in the world. You know, people knew Kermit so, the Frog yeah. who didn't know Jim. You know, there's a persona there and an entity that people are aware of. And I tended to find that to be true, too. Interesting. And that's the other thing, like with the Muppets throughout the years, you know, the celebrities, celebrity guest appearance, they almost seem like, you know, they either grew up with them or whatnot, but they seem to flock towards it. And they even yeah. sort of forget they're, they're someone behind it. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're talking to Kermit or, or, or whatnot, well, right? That That's right. That's right. They, they tended to... Um, and, the, you know, I mean, that was the, the best thing. And, and these characters always did seem to be alive. They seemed like they were thinking beings, uh, you know, lived in the real world as, uh, you know, was the, the idea. And um, they came to work every day just like everybody else. Yeah. So, so for the other celebrities, it was just doing a performance as if it was a person. It's just it was this little green frog or whatever it might have been, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So so interesting. Uh, let's go uh, on on your origin story, so to speak. Uh, we talked touched base on a little bit, but you're originally from Atlanta, Georgia, correct? Yeah. And um, and I got an uncle out out that way. It's a, it's a great oh, cool. area. And uh, when did you first get into puppeteering? I'll pop this in here. Uh, I, I also at the end I'll pop in all your social media and everything so True. people can check you out. So I I highly recommend everybody, especially check out. Not just his Instagram and everything, but check out his website because you come up with amazing pictures oh, like this. Wow. Yeah, and you go into that. Like, what? When did you like really first get into puppeteering as even as a concept for you? Well, I think, um, I mean, really, really, the very first was was. I mean, I knew who the Muppets were, but it was just these little simple hand puppets that you get as a kid that have the head and the hands. Oh yeah, and um, the store bought ones. And my parents bought me a couple of, of I wish I still had them because they were actually pretty nice toys, marionettes of Popeye and olive oil. But I was, yeah. I, I had no affinity for puppets with strings. I mean, uh, you oh. know, I, I spent most of my time asking my mom to untangle them for me because I was always okay. tangling them up. Um, but, but the Muppets were different. You know, the way they approached an audience being on television, they were designed for television, basically so that their eyes were very focused. They looked directly at you in the camera. More than I'm doing now, right. I keep yeah. looking down here because you're on my yeah. computer screen. Yeah. But the Muppets look right at you when they talk to you, you know? Um, very true, wow. And, and so they felt very, they were engaging to the audience um, in a way that puppets in the past weren't so much, you know? Um, so you felt like they were talking to you. And the other part of that that I'm aware of now more than in the, my childhood years was that when you were seeing these characters, you were really seeing past those characters to the person who was underneath them. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, there was an aspect of the personality that was that person, you know? Wow, it, it's amazing. And, and, and yeah, touching light on every, everything you said there, it, it makes so much sense. Yeah, there's so much more attachment uh, with people uh, through the years with the Muppets versus just like a, a, a regular puppet from a store or whatnot. Uh, the character performance, of course, but yeah, there's the design of them. Uh, and, and this, I think it's a very poetic, I, I love seeing, especially, uh, being a movie buff and of course, loving the Muppets, uh, my whole life and passing down that to my kids. And, yeah. uh, I love seeing this picture right here Yeah, because it's like, man, like I wanted to personally ask you, like, what is that like? Cause you were uh, obviously a fan and yep. you get to be working with the creators and, uh, an understudy of the creator uh, well, man, what was that experience like for you? Well, clearly from that photo, you, you can see that my obsession was with the Muppets because I was trying to build copies of so many of the Sesame Street characters yeah. at the starting point. And then eventually, you know, playing with that type of design, I started trying to build things that were my own too. But, you know, I, I think at that point, I was not thinking, I was 10 years old when that photo was taken. I don't think I was had any clue that I would ever work with Jim, you know, and, and right. his group. I just knew it was something I was very interested in doing. Um, gotcha. And I, I hoped I might meet him someday, but I, but it wasn't really, think, I wasn't thinking job exactly. And to have that opportunity was exactly the 
perfect thing to happen to me um, wow. because I because there were so many things that I needed to learn about it that from the outside, from the fans' point of view, fans certainly know who the Muppets are. Yeah, but but there's a different side of that. There's that objective point of view is great, but there's there's sort of an interior to them. There's a Jim's methods and the way he did things and the group yeah. dynamic and all of that was stuff that I would have never had access to wow. had I not actually been able to go do it, you know, and really really learn who those characters were, you know. And I think if we can continue on that point, because <clears throat> I think it's a a very important point of the Muppets is carrying that over because obviously they figured out how it worked and. <clears throat> the philosophy that went behind everything and and uh having that amazing opportunity i mean just how it how much you learn with that and how important that was carrying that over right yeah it, it, it is important um you know i would have never been able to even attempt to do kermit had had i not spent a, a pretty good amount of time around jim i mean i i worked with him for a dozen years out of his whole career you know, he did, he worked a lot longer than that, but I was finally old enough to work with him. And, and that time I was fortunate enough to work pretty closely with him and not only with Jim, but with the other core members of his team too, Jerry Nelson and Frank Oz and Richard Hunt. Yes. Dave and all of those different people, those five people had very different approaches to doing essentially the same thing. Oh, interesting. Okay. So one of the things I um, realize now is that I learned different things from those five guys, you know, um, You're right. they, they all had different approaches. So I was the youngest for quite a long time. The new guy coming in when they were getting established or quite established. Yes. And I was able to pick sort of the best parts of performance technique from those different guys and try to learn it. And it was sort of my job in the beginning because the first thing I did was stand in, not, not really understudy, but stand in for them. Yes. For instance, if, if Jim had two characters in a scene or if Frank was doing Miss Piggy and Fozzie Bear was in the scene, he couldn't do both of them, so I would do Fozzie. And right. I'm standing next to the guy who originated this character, so <laughs> I have to do a good job, you know. Or no pressure, yeah. Smack me, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, I, I want my goal became to make sure that when I was doing Fozzie, when it went back on Frank's hand for the next part, you, you did, never distinguished... Wow that it was not Frank because Frank was going to dub the voice. It would sound the same. Yeah. It needed to look the same. And it was right. very important to me to, to learn all of that movement style from them. And they were all very, very different. Man, that's so amazing. I'll pop some pictures in here too. And, and if anything triggers a memory, please, please uh, chime sure. in, of course. Sure. Uh, but yeah, like, wow. here's a great example, uh, <laughs> which is, this is one of the characters that made you fall in love uh, with the Muppets, correct? Yeah, okay. Ralph the Dog. Ralph the Dog, uh, a show called The Jimmy Dean Show back in the in the early part of the 60s. And I was a little kid. I was probably five or six years old and used to watch that. And that, that's my earliest memory of the Muppets is probably Ralph. Um, and that picture is interesting because what we were doing there, um, I, I I'd spent a, once I was on the scene, I used to play piano poorly, but I played piano. And so because I knew where the notes were on the piano, I would, oh, okay. we would have a, a professional piano player. The man in the background there is a guy named Derek Scott, who was one of the music directors on the show. Okay. Sitting, sitting with the headphones on. Now, what we normally did was pre record the audio track. And then Jim would either do one hand, I would do the other, or sometimes I would do both of Rolf's hands. Oh, and okay. we would have a, 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 a piano that was, it actually didn't make any noise. The keys moved, but it didn't make any noise. So I would oh, learn yeah. the tracks and I would learn them pretty accurately. And then, so then I would play and it would look like Ross playing. But wow. that particular shot was yeah. a show that we did with Liberace, the famous pianist. Oh, yes. And because Rolf was playing along with Liberace, Liberace's piano had to be live. And Liberace was going to play on the same piano as Rolf. So that piano had to be live. So you've got, I mean, you got to make real noise. You're really recording this. Yeah. But I was not, a, I couldn't, actually hit the keys because I wasn't really playing anything that could be used. I was playing mush. You yeah. Know? It looked right, but it wasn't right. So I had to pretend to play and hit the keys enough for them to move, but not to trigger the hammers on the piano. <laughs> wow, um, really? It was really hard. And, oh, and right, the other part was that Derek was there because he was playing a duet with Liberace. The piano playing was not pre-recorded for Rolf. It was live. Wow. Oh, so I had to hit the piano at the same time as a real person sitting over there 
hitting the piano. And I, my recollection was we did a pretty good job, but it was very hard. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Well, I just love the, especially the practical side of it. You know, uh, you know, as time goes on, there's certain things, yeah. you know, whether it's Muppets or whatnot, that kind of, they start crossing in different, uh, you know, CGI or whatnot, of yep. course. But the practical side of things is always, uh, I think, even comes across on screen better, yeah. and audiences yeah. appreciate that more, right? Well, yeah, I think so too. I think there's room for both of it, and I, uh, both of those ways of presenting characters and storytelling. And you know, we did one of uh, Jim came up with one of the very first computer-generated animated characters ever in the history of everything. Maybe been the first one. It was a real-time character that we did called Waldo. And if you ever go to Walt Disney World, the 3D movie, Waldo's in that movie. Yeah. It was the first real-time graphic, and I performed the character. And it was this massive, long metal arm that connected to a computer. Like uh, It was like 20 feet long. And wow. I would run this little myth that, that made the mouth work on screen. And all we could do, the computers were so primitive compared to what we have now mm -hmm. that we could only record a wireframe image of Waldo, wow. very crude image. We just could barely make out what he was, but yet he could move around on screen with the actual physical Muppets, combining wow. those together. And then they would go off mm -hmm. and it would literally take them months to render Waldo. <clears throat> this giant room full of computers and it would take months to do it. Wow. Um, but that, But my point in telling that story was that Jim was always looking at those new technologies as ways to enhance what he was doing. Um, I don't think he would have seen those two forms, you know, CG care, CGI and puppetry as needing to be competitive with each other. I think he would have found ways to use them together. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I mean, again, you know, it's why we, another reason why we want to show you, you're part of history, man. I mean, you, you are history. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and to have uh, that much effect on just generations of, of people uh, positive like that, it's got to feel amazing. And, to be a part, you know, what is it like being a part of something that um, it's it's not just American Americana, it, it, it's yeah. the, the world over. What, what is that being like a part of something that big? Well, you know, it's really interesting. These days, I do a lot of Comic Cons and things like that mm -hmm. once in a while when, when we can do them, not <laughs> not during COVID time. Yeah. yeah. But there is nothing more gratifying than going to these conventions of all these fans and nearly everybody there has some memory of the Muppets and how they were affected by it. And this is all over the world. You know, this is in, in virtually every country all over the world. Um, you know, For people sure. my age, people you're younger than me, people your age, and then right down to even modern times, most people have seen the more recent work, um, mm -hmm. but especially the old stuff. And, and so much of it still holds up, you know, the Muppets oh, were exactly. such a big deal, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was half tempted. We, we can get it. Uh, I, I, I like to uh, do things non-linear on the show. It's a little more sure, entertaining sure. And, and less boring yeah. for, for the guests. But uh, I was half tempted to wear my, my Christmas shirt is is uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, nice. Uh, I was half tempted to wear I literally just had to swap shirts real quick. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that, I mean, yeah, all of that from the 70s all the way to, you know, uh, present, like that holds up so well. Um, mm. man, what do you think? What what is the magic in that? What for you? What do you, what would you sum that up to? You know, it's an interesting little roller coaster that's happened over the years with the popularity of the Muppets. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Jim had always wanted to do since Sesame Street in the late '60s began. He always wanted to do a prime time, more adult oriented. You know, I mean, adult family, so oh, yeah. uh, show that that would you know at the time there were three major networks, and uh, he wanted to do a major network primetime series. And for years he wasn't able to do it because everyone associated him with being a children's entertainer because of the success of Sesame Street. So the success was wonderful, and yet it was a little bit of a burden at the same time in trying to move on. And once The Muppet Show happened, there was a point in time when it was kind of the biggest thing on the planet. Oh, uh, yeah. It was in over 100 countries around the world, dubbed into all the languages, and just a wow. massive thing. Huge. I came in right in the middle of that. And... Um, you know, I, I, I mean, that's it's it was such a phenomenon, and yet, as the as the person I was as a fan at that time, this sounds really strange because I was a big part of it. I was yeah. prior to working on the Muppet Show, I was not a massive fan of the Muppet Show. Now, I was, okay, 
yeah, I was, I was in my late teens. I was already out doing puppet things of my own and working a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I was not able to start watching the Muppet show because I was working during those hours whenever it was on. Okay. However, I, I tended to gravitate towards Jim's earlier stuff, like the bits he used to do when they were an act that went on variety shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. The piece to Java, which were those two tube guys that one blows up at the end. And <laughs> those, those kind of abstract, strange pieces that, that they did, I was actually more interested in than to do a narrative kind of you know comedy half-hour show. Now, when I went to work on it, it was a different story. I loved every minute of it. Uh, I, I learned to love what we were doing on the Muppet Show, but I still, I still like the bizarreness of the Muppets, you know. Oh, oh, uh, hands down, <laughs> I, I, and I love, I love this shot with you guys. Uh, yeah, this is to me, it's like a bunch. It's like really, it's like a bunch of musicians just jamming together. You know what I mean? We were always. I mean, uh, the key component of everything we did was goofing off. You know, <laughs> we were always <laughs> goofing around. I'm not sure uh, what production that shot was taken on. But um, I, that would that would have been after the Muppet Show that shot, but okay. but that was that was kind of our core team at that stage from Muppet Show forward for a while, and I mean we would giggle sometimes to the point where we had to stop shooting and 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 take a break. We would gig we would get the giggles to the point where the crew would be really just come on guys get it together kind of attitude, <laughs> and we couldn't we couldn't pull it together, and uh, oh, you know. No. Jim said to Dave Goals once that his favorite thing about all the years was the laughter, you know, uh, wow. when, we, when, when we would laugh and enjoy it. And, and we did. We, we did. We always enjoyed it in those days. Man, and that's, I mean, again, that's got to be part of the magic that goes beyond, you know, through the screen to the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think so. And it certainly did for me as a kid prior to the Muppets. And um, it was, it was, you know, what I, had hoped to sort of bring back to the Muppets when they landed at Disney. I'm not quite sure it's really there, but, um, but you know, it, I, I think the potential was there for it to kind of be reinstalled, you know, a little bit more uh, spirit. Uh, Opportunity wise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, but, but I think the Muppets need that for survival. And, and it, it, unfortunately we're sort of at a stage now where there, there's only a person or two left involved who had any real relationship with Jim's time at all. Interesting. Uh, and wow. it, it, yeah, it, it, it kind of, it's a tough thing to, to see, sir, to see through to survival. You know, it really is. And, and a question I have for you, I just couldn't imagine this undertaking, <laughs> you know, like uh, number one, I remember, you know, 1990, uh, the heartbreaking, surprising yeah. uh, loss uh, and passing of Jim Henson. Yeah. Um, and then, being approached uh, to take the mantle of Kermit, which is, you know, I mean, that's right. They're like, you know, major staples of, of, of you know, American culture uh, and, and Ernie. And you didn't exactly jump right on top and go, let's go. There was some deliberation oh, yeah. going on. Can you go into that a little bit? Then what was that? Your thought process even with that? Well, <clears throat> Essentially, when I look back on it, what I realized I had to do was to really just rely on my gut feelings about it. Um, I got a lot of input from different people who were close to Jim and, and they, they knew him well. And But mostly the puppeteers <clears throat> sort of just stayed back and let me wade through the process. And it was a process of all kinds of things. It was a process of mourning Jim. You know, uh, they. I was asked to to start trying to do this very soon after his death, um, <clears throat> and I. It really was about remembering how Jim performed Kermit, what he was like when he was okay. doing Kermit. What what the he, he made a certain face when he did Kermit that I was reacquainted with. I mean, I was aware of it because I worked next to him, but he had a certain expression he made. Uh, Kermit would. Uh, you know, he would kind of uh, do like that, you know, and he would think about things and, you know, yeah, and wow. have some thoughtful stuff, you know, and, and Jim would make that face, you know, and Jim made that face in real, you know, so it started turned into Kermit. Uh, <laughs> and Jim would make that face in real life too, you know, when he was thinking about things. So that was a part of Jim that was directly in there. If you weren't around Jim, you can only fake that. You know, you've got to, <laughs> yeah. if you witnessed it and you saw it and you felt it and you knew where it was coming from, from within the performer, 
then right. then you have a better it doesn't mean you can do it but it means you have a better chance of getting there you know that's huge yeah. That's, otherwise, otherwise it's yeah, like a guesswork. Otherwise, I, yeah. you can get close, or or it's a imper impersonation. Uh, otherwise, yeah, and that's that happens. It happens. You know, it, it's hard for that not to happen. Um, yeah. You know, and and I and I, it was very important to me. I mean, I already had worked enough and done enough character work after that twelve years or so with Jim, that I knew the importance of Kermit not becoming a stale kind of icon character. You know, oh, okay. it'd, be very, it'd be very easy for that to happen. It'd be very easy to just copy everything Jim ever did, never expand the character at all. Yeah. And he would be very stale. You know, he, he would probably have just died away. Um, so we gently started looking for ways. I mean, I looked for ways to, to let him evolve, really, just to base it on Jim, but let him grow. And Christmas Carol was the first thing that I did with Kermit that was really right. big. It was a great opportunity to do that because... It was not just me playing Kermit, but it was Kermit playing another character. Right. right? Yes. That was amazing. Yes. So it had, and the same with Treasure Island. And so Kermit had to be Bob Cratchit or he had to be yeah. Captain Smollett, you know? Yeah. So, so how would Kermit play this other character? And then how would you be Kermit to be Kermit playing <laughs> yeah. this? So really what it boiled down to, Frank, Frank gave me a piece of advice that I kind of already knew but it was the confirmation from Frank Oz that really cemented it for me and made it gel and gave me the confidence to move forward with what I was already thinking, which is when he said to me, when you are performing Kermit, you really have to perform Jim. You have to become Jim. I mean, not literally, of course, but you have to right. become Jim, be inside of Jim before you can be inside of Kermit. And it's exactly right. It's exactly right. Wow, mm -hmm. I mean, that's unbelievable. And, and I'm, <clears throat> and we'll have other people obviously email things in and things, you know on this. But uh, you know, on behalf of everybody, you know, all viewers and people love your work. We really do thank you because you did an amazing work. Uh, has influenced many other people to embark on careers that may, uh, like this that maybe wouldn't have otherwise, and mm -hmm. and uh, or just even inspiring them in, in other avenues of, of life. So. I, I, from my bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Uh, well, what you brought to the table. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. I appreciate oh, it very much. <laughs> for sure. Um, let's let's kind of segue here a little bit too. Can you tell uh, the viewers about this fella here? Yeah, I have uh, no idea who that is. I know who the one on the left is, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was some strange. You know, my hair's always been weird in one way or the other. Um, uh, no, Otis was a puppet that I. It was one of probably the first original character that I really did anything with back when I was however old I was there. Um, I had a very good friend named Gary Kepke, who was a ventriloquist. Now, Gary was was the world champion ventriloquist at one point. He was a young guy, but he but he'd gone to this competition and became so so there's a little museum in uh, Fort Mitchell, Kentucky called Vent Haven that a lot of people won't know about, but Vent Haven is still there after all these years. And it is the ventriloquist museum. So once in a while they have these um, ventriloquist conventions there. Now I didn't, I was not a ventriloquist at all, but I went with my friend Gary back. This was about 1975, maybe we went to Vent Haven. Do you remember characters called um, there was a, a ventriloquist back in the sixties who did uh, Nestle's quick commercials called Jimmy Nelson. And he did a character called Farfel. It was a dog. Yeah, you may not know this. And he, did, and he was a great ventriloquist. He was a performer, but he also did these commercials. He was known for that. He was there. So I kind of got to meet a guy who was a celebrity. It was kind of fun. And it turned out all, most of the ventriloquists there were using the standard ventriloquist dummies with the mouth, you know, on the thing, you know, like this. And I showed up and I was this young 16-year-old guy who was building very Muppet-like puppets. And we had all my puppets there. And my friend Gary did a performance with a couple of those puppets. So all the ventriloquists came to me and asked me to start building puppets for them. So oh, I had, for, for a 16 year old still living at home, I had a pretty lucrative couple of uh, summers <laughs> there building, building puppets, you know, hundred bucks a piece or something awesome. for, uh, for these people. And whatever they wanted custom built, I would figure out how to build it, you know? Oh, cool. Um, so that, so Otis, the, the point of that story is that we drove from Atlanta to Kentucky and on the drive, I literally had my, 
I had sewn the parts, but I was gluing the last bits onto this character Otis in the car as we're driving along, you know, using this contact <laughs> cement and all this stuff. So when I got there, I had this new character and Otis essentially debuted at a ventriloquist convention. Oh, and, really? And we went on to do a local Atlanta show uh, just before I joined the Muppets for about six months where I did live television two and a half hours a day with puppet character. Wow. It's amazing pretty much what I'm doing now with Weldon in a way, except I don't go that long, but okay. we would, we would run these cartoons, not, not really good cartoons, just like bad cartoons. And, uh, and like anything that the, the, the little, little tiny local station could get really cheap, uh, you know, old black and white serials from the thirties. And yeah. you know, we do 20 <laughs> minutes of that. And then we do half an hour of my character taking phone calls from the kids oh, wow. and adults who are watching. So I love doing that. And I always hope to somehow try to get back to that. And that is a part of what Kaven is. It's amazing to see that, that full circle and, and when originally, and, you know, kind of being entrepreneurial minded myself, uh, you know, by day I, I actually teach uh, martial arts. Uh, oh, wow. I, have own, I have my own school. We do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, judo ensemble, like yeah. grappling kind of stuff, huh. which we're kind of, we, you know, we get to open and we have to close right now, but um, I, I just love hearing that and seeing that, like, uh, you know, you didn't have to go to college to learn how to make a Muppet and, and perform. And, you know, you just you just did it and and to see how that went out and, and blossomed to other things. And what, what was the ex a specific story for you as far as uh, first connecting uh, with, with Jim Henson and, and, and the troupe with that? Well, it was um, through another kind of convention festival, oddly, I. I had never been to one of these things. I didn't know it existed. Uh, again, I was uh, a few years after the, the one I was just describing. There was a puppetry festival in Atlanta in 1977, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and Carol Spinney was there, who was the voice and puppeteer for Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. And Carol and his wife, Debbie. And I went to this thing because I wanted to meet somebody who worked for the Muppets. I... I wasn't thinking job exactly. I just, I, I, the Muppets were a big deal to me and I want, this guy was going to be in Atlanta. And I thought, great. Yeah. So met Carol, Carol, uh, we got to know each other as much as you can over a weekend. And he took my address and I took his and I thought, well, that was great. I'll, I'll probably never hear from him again. Sure. <laughs> about, about, I guess three months later, he contacted me and said that Jim was looking for new puppeteers for Sesame wow. street. And he thought yeah. I should try to get, you know, he said he would call them, let them know who I was, and I should get an audition. Um, and so that's exactly what happened. I, um, Carol arranged for me to talk to one of their producers. Jim was already doing the Muppet Show in London. I was working at, a, a, at an Atlanta theme park. And um, it turned out that Jane Henson, Jim's uh, wife, was going to be in Atlanta within a couple of weeks of that oh. time to inspect the Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon for the parade. It was being built somewhere in Georgia at a Goodyear plant. Wow, really? Serendipity, you know, Jane Henson's coming to Atlanta. And so she did. And uh, we met at the, what was the old Atlanta airport. The one now is this monster thing. It was much smaller then. Yeah, and we, had, yeah. we had dinner. I took some of my puppets. And I, she said, we talked. I had like little local newspaper articles and things like that I gave her. And we talked and talked. I was, of course, very enthusiastic. And she said at some point during this dinner, she said, well, I really, it was crowded little airport restaurant, you know, filled with people, I mean, close tables. And she said, I hate to ask you to do this, but I kind of need to see you do something with a puppet. Do oh, you, right here, right now. I have my puppets, of course. So <laughs> I pull Otis, this character, out of my little trunk of puppets. Wow. Turns out that the kids sitting at the next table were local Atlanta kids who watched my show every day. What a, my, my little show that, you know, was my local Atlanta show. So they come running over the table and I talked to them about 15, 20 minutes probably. And Jane later told me that it was that interaction with the children that made her decide they needed to hire me. Wow. So that was pretty great, you know. That, that's couple months, amazing. A couple months later, she took a videotape that I had made at the local station I was working at at that point, uh, doing this little show with Otis to Jim and Jim called me, which was a huge thing and arranged for me to um, come to New York in a few months when he was gonna be back from shooting the Muppet show in London and meet him. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, you're probably like a cloud nine at that. 
Oh, I, I, I've said before, you know, I was, I think I was levitating for a couple of months, you know, prior to getting to go to New York and meet Jim, you know. That's amazing. I love hearing that interaction that she saw because, yeah, I mean, that would translate so much more than someone that just, you know, operated operate with things like that. Yeah. Uh, well, exactly. It, that's exactly true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's pop in with this because this is another uh, fan favorite, of course. Uh, this little fella right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My favorite too. Rizzo is my favorite character that I ever performed. Is um, Rizzo the Rat himself, and, and popped this in free as well. Yeah, the it's, early Rizzo. Now yeah. that that costume that Rizzo was in <laughs> was uh, made by Polly Smith, I think, who oh. came along in those years, who was a costume maker. But prior to Polly being around, my wife Melissa, who we'd only been married for, well, we got married uh, just after I joined the Muppet Show, would come into the Muppet Shop and make costumes for Rizzo. Um, she would just sit in the green room, you know, and, and stitch little costumes. And so he had tie dyed shirts and he had a little hat and <laughs> all these, you know, so, which has really started to form his, you know, kind of work personality a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Just bring life to these characters. Um, you know, I guess a good question, you know, if, if somebody's, uh, thinking about, you know, going into more of that side of things of performance and puppeteering. Well, you know, what, what do you, and you kind of touched base on it earlier, uh, what do you kind of makes a you know, good puppeteer really? Well, uh, I'll, I'll go back to, I think we said this earlier, mm -hmm. it, it's really about the characters being and seeming conscious. Um, yes, okay. Not just moving and, and, you know, in fact, the truth is from a manipulation standpoint, unless it's on purpose to be silly, the characters are actually quite steady. We, we really yeah. only move them with a reason to move them. You know, I mean, I don't have a puppet here, but yeah. let's say I did. You know, they're not, they're not constantly moving. They're just, they're like, you know, as you and I are talking, yeah. you know, you'll nod yes and I'll nod yes, but we're not really moving very much. Um, and it's, just trying, it's trying to give them thought, you know? I think the scientific term for it is a tea field. Some animals have a tea feel, so they think through things, you know, like dolphins and us and yeah. great apes, you know. All animals don't have that. They all have in some instincts, but with most of the Muppets, we try to give them a very human characteristics, you know. And um, it's really just about that. A and so if it's television puppetry, which is what a lot of people are interested in because of the influence of the Muppets, I really yeah. encourage people with today's technology, it's not all that expensive to find a way to be in front of a monitor with a camera on you and learn to work with a monitor. Now, I say that because that's the way we do it with the Muppets. Mm -hmm. It just depends on what you're going to do with puppetry. You know, I also always try to tell people if they ask me about getting into puppetry to decide what they mean by that. You know, if it's a young person, do you mean you want to do, to do things with puppets or would you like to get a job with the Muppets? Because it's not the same thing. Uh, that would be interesting. You know, the odds of getting a job with the Muppets might be quite slim. I came in at a time when Jim was specifically looking for somebody. And Sesame Street and, and different, you know, the Hensons and everybody holds auditions. But frankly, my experience is that there's not that much work for all those puppeteers that get auditioned. Um, uh, it's almost a thing just as a community outreach in a way. And, and I yeah. sometimes, I felt a little bad about it sometimes because I thought I, I never participated in too many of those workshops, but I thought these people are going to really get their hopes up that they're going to have this career like Jim Henson had. Probably not. So find a way to do what it is you want to do. Um, YouTube is a great outlet. You know, you can, oh, you, for sure. I mean, I feel like most of the time I'm doing cave-in for about five people, although we have a little following, but yeah, I had my regulars on there who call all the time and it's kind of our little club. We meet it once a month and hopefully other people watch the production numbers and the things we do and enjoy it. Yeah, but, I, but I'm not making any money on it and, and, and it's costing me a fortune. And so I'm doing it because I love doing it, you know, and um, I think everybody has to take that approach to just about anything you do in the arts these days. Uh, that, that's great, great words of advice. Because I mean, the purpose of this show really is not only to entertain people during these, these crazy times, but inspire yeah. them as well. And, 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 and that you, I mean, you have you know, both sides that in, in, amazingly. And I thought that was another interesting thing too, is like, I mean, you have to be very passionate about this yeah. um, to be doing it for over four decades. I mean, it, you know, yeah. like and some people may get like through a rut or, right. uh, you know, jaded or, or, or lose sight of that. But, I, you know, what, what kind of 
keeps you honest with that? Well, some of it is that I'm not as young as I used to be and I want to stay good at it. Um, it's not quite like riding a bicycle, you know? (laughs) And so when I was no longer really working with the Muppets, I thought, you know, the skill set can atrophy a bit, uh, probably like it would as a martial artist. I don't know a lot about martial arts, but if you stop practicing, it's hard to get back on the horse, you know? For sure. Um, and I felt like, you know, we did this ABC series that was the last big thing we did and to mixed reviews, but in terms of the, the puppetry on the show, I thought it was some of the best stuff we ever did. Um, now, what I mean by that is a lot of people didn't like the tone of the show. And I, there were a lot of things about the tone of the show I didn't like. But, yeah. but, the, but the actual puppet work. And, and I felt like Kermit grew so much during that show as a character, but also in what I learned to be able to physically do with the puppet. Because the point of that show was it was meant to be their real lives, whatever that meant. And so they were meant to, for the first time, they were so entrenched in being in the real world that that the puppetry was quite toned down. It was very subtle. And we really wanted them to seem like breathing creatures, you know, living yeah. things to more of an extent than we ever did. They were, they were, they, Kermit was getting in the neighborhood of a Dark Crystal character. You know, yeah. they were suddenly like these yeah. rubbery things that are supposed to be breathing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and still trying to keep him whimsical and in character as much as I could with that kind of style. It was hard. So at the end of that time, I felt, I, I really felt I was at the highest point in my puppetry skills career. And I wanted to keep that going. Now, I, Weldon's a little bit different kind of character. And, I, and you can't quite get the subtlety out of that character that you can get out of Kermit. But I, I want to keep it going. You know, I, 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 was, I was and am kind of at the top of my game. So I'd like to keep it there. So I, you know, I've got to keep riding the bicycle, you know. <laughs> right, yeah, keep, yeah, and that's totally true. Yeah, with anything, even a musician, right? If you you're, you stop for a while, yeah. you, you get that ring rust, so to speak. Uh, I, I love that you brought that up too. This is a great segue, and that is for the Dark Crystal. Yeah. Uh, with 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 this bad boy right here. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, Scott Tech, uh, man. I mean, this this was like uh, one one of the first big uh, productions, and and honestly, I. I as far as puppetry goes, full feature film wise, I mean, such mm. a, an amazing undertaking. I believe it was like yeah. 1982. Um, yeah. what, what was it like for you on set of that? Well, it was a different kind of challenge every day. And, and you know, Jim and Frank were co-directing that film, which was a good thing. Uh, although they, 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 didn't, they didn't always agree, although they always disagreed politely. That's just the way they were. And, you know, they, they balanced each other is what it boiled down to. They were a, such an incredibly good team. And um, just trying to get through shooting this thing where, where, again, it was a part of that early days of drawing the line between how much do we make these these living, breathing kind of things that move like living animals? Yeah. And how much do we let them be a little bit zany with a little bit of the Muppet influence? You know, the pod people were kind of the Muppets. I mean, you know. Right. They, they were, they were zany and silly and they moved too much and they, you know, they weren't, they weren't, you know, it was a different thing. Um, you know, so, so it was a real challenge. I mean, I, we would, I would go to, we were shot in England and I would go, I don't know whether you know where Hampstead Heath is, but it's this beautiful area North of London. And I would go and sit at these little sidewalk cafes on the weekends and do things like this. And I would watch people walking down the side of the road, the side of the street from the waist up, you know, and it was like, so this is what the Muppets look like when they walk from the waist up. Yeah. What is a what is a what does living things really look like when they walk? And can we put that into these creatures? And so I really started studying that, and it became very important to me. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm using my hand, but but yeah. if you imagine that it's a oops, I'm sorry, got tangled in my mic. You, if you imagine this is a puppet's head, right? And you and you kind of got neck movement here and shoulder, but whereas Kermit might walk like this. You know, the, the the Dark Crystal characters were more like this. It really was almost no movement. And that's yeah. that's a little bit more like what a person moves like, you know. That's so ingenious. I mean, I wouldn't even think the idea to sit back. Of course, if anybody watched you watch them, that would have been a whole other interesting story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's for the art. It's for the. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's amazing. And, and obviously on that subject, of course, um, you know, uh, Dark Dark Crystal was just such an amazing undertaking and everything. But 
going into like Labyrinth was yeah. was another phenomenal. Uh, I mean, it's just like a who's who's list of of amazing work you've worked on, <laughs> uh, and you know, obviously, you know, coming up the ranks and things like that. And it, it, I imagine too, you know, there's a script to certain points, but there's got to be riffing, uh, of course, right? You're kind of rubbing elbows with each other like that. Yeah, less so in the films. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was a little bit more uh, necessary to follow what was scripted. There was a little bit of room to play. But, you know, it's a funny thing. I mean, it, any actor would tell you that the whole point is to take the dialogue that's written and, and improvise it, really. Make it your yeah. own. So we always did that. With The Muppet Show, there was a little more room for the play with the lines, if you threw oh, something yeah. in, assuming it didn't, you know, make the show run long, you could get away with stuff. Um, a, a lot of that on this, la a, some of that on this last series, most of it was pretty tightly scripted for time, but with the guest stars in particular, we were allowed a little more latitude to just play, to see what came out of it, because they could lose it if they need to lose it, you know? Right. Um, but the, the, the ad-libbing and the improvising, now, I'm as, a, as an improvisational actor, I don't think I'm terribly good at it. Um, uh, you know, even with a puppet, I mean, if I just pick a puppet I've never put on before off the table mm -hmm. and put it on, I, I'm not really all that good at that. Usually, you know, I, I, I would rather develop a character and then yeah. I can carry him any place, him, her, whatever. Um, I, you know, and there's a comfort zone there too, of course, but, uh, you know, right. Yeah. Like that, that, that's amazing. I mean, everybody's got their own, own thing. On it, but that, that does make sense. Yeah. Cause yeah. you know, you're, you're making, you're making this a, a living, breathing creature, you know, yeah. <clears throat> out of out of felt, of course. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I I definitely wanted to bring up Fraggle Rock. Yeah, you. I mean, you just got it. Yeah, <laughs> and and we got Wembley himself, uh, yeah. Sprocket, and among uh, amongst others. Uh, man, what what was it like on set for this? Because it was like a, another a new take, and um, wasn't as tried and, and around as much as Muppets at this point. Well, that's true. It was um, it's, Fraggle was kind of set up by Jim and, and a, a small core creative team to be something that we, being the other puppeteers, would do while Jim was basically off developing other projects. And Frank was directing a lot of films. Uh, he, you know, uh, Little Shop of Horrors to begin with, and on down the line, so many films. And so he wasn't he wasn't a part of Fraggle. Uh, so it was really Jerry Nelson was the most sort of senior puppeteer there. Uh, in terms of time on with the Muppets and Richard and Dave and myself, Kathy Mullen, Karen Prell, yeah. and, and then a whole host of incredibly good uh, Canadian puppeteers joined us for that because we shot in Toronto. Oh, so um, and it was it was the first thing that I have been, well that most of us have been a part of that was a Muppet venture, Muppet being Fraggles, yeah. where Jim was not there all the time overseeing everything. So he kind of set us off on our own and let us make this show. I mean, us being a huge team of people, yeah. you know, producers that he trusted and uh, puppeteers, of course, and, you know, directors that, that he was a part of pulling into the team. And um, it was just a zany fun time. I, I had been with the Muppets about five years. That was at the point where I really felt I could sink my teeth into a character, you know, and Wembley wow. was that character. Now, Wembley was basically just me. I was... <laughs> I was 22 or 23 and, and had Wembley's. There you go. <laughs> there he is. My, my boy band look. And, um, you know, so, so I just, um, I, I just, I grew like crazy during that show from, from a puppetry standpoint, from a character standpoint, thinking about who this character was. Sprocket was the same way. Sprocket the dog. Mm -hmm. He was a bit of a challenge because he didn't speak English. Um, right. Yeah. He, he almost did, but, but I had to, you know, I worked with with the, with a, just an amazing, uh, very well known actor named Jerry Parks, who played Doc on that show. Oh, okay. And Jerry passed away a few years ago, but I, I loved working with Jerry, uh, a terrific person and a great talk about a scene partner, especially because since Sprocket didn't actually speak, but he had to convey things, I could do my best with the puppet. Yeah. But then Jerry had to know all of Jerry's lines, plus everything Sprocket was trying to yeah. say, and <laughs> yeah. clarify it for the audience. So all the burden of performance was on Jerry, poor Jerry Parks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. I mean, that's a, a great point. Like, not only are you bringing life to uh, you know, this puppet, like Sprocket, for example, yeah. but that, that uh, chemistry between the, you, you two, I mean, yeah. he can't speak right. English, you know. I, it's amazing to 
you know, like you said, like studying uh, movements uh, and, and yeah. things like that. It goes such a long way. So amazing. And, and I want to segue into this as well, okay. um, which is obviously yeah. have, taking on the mantle of Ernie, uh, one of the yeah. another uh, American iconic thing here. And, and I, I love just the, the again, the artistry that goes into it. For, for you, again, this wasn't, I don't know if it was a daunting task. I have to imagine that'd be Kermit, Ernie. Uh, what was it like for you taking on this guy? Well, Ernie uh, was a little bit more of a challenge for me because what, what happened when Jim passed away, <clears throat> um, you know, Sesame Street does so many talking toys um, and Jim would go in and record the voices for all those toys. So the search went out, I was already doing Kermit, but the search went out to find someone to do the vocal toy records. And I did those for a couple of years uh, before the decision was made to bring Ernie back to Sesame Street. Really? And um, so at, that's the point when it, it sort of seemed logical for me to step in and give it a try. Because, um, you know, I, I, I'd already kind of established, it wasn't exactly Jim, but there was a, a voice that was working for Ernie. So let's see. And I was already a puppeteer, so let's, you know, do that. Yeah. I had less experience uh, in fact, almost no experience around Jim when he was performing Ernie, unlike Kermit, where I was around him quite a lot. But it okay. was still it was still a process of pulling from what I knew about Jim, you know, um, of what it felt like next being next to the man. And I knew the Kermity part of him more than the Ernie part. But what helped enormously, not only with Ernie but with Kermit as well, was working with Frank in those years because Frank was Fozzie, Frank oh, yeah. and he was Grover on Sesame Street with Ernie. He was Bert with Ernie. And so, you know, I think we talked about this earlier. There was almost, it's almost as though these characters were entities in the world outside of the performers who performed them. Yeah. And when Frank came in and started doing Bert, I somehow seemed to be able to instinctively know what to do with Ernie. Um, Interesting. Because it was Bert. It was really the real actual original Bert and I knew Jim and I knew Frank. I worked with Frank doing other things and suddenly I was able to pull the Jim part of Ernie out of, I don't know, wow. somehow reacting. It was an instinctive thing in a way, you know? Yeah. Jim, yeah I mean, in this weird, funny way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's so interesting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Especially being working with all of them for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the closest thing, thing you, we could have gotten. Uh, to that for sure. Well, it pulls I, yeah. off so good. I, I think so. I think so. I hope so because I. It was very important to me to try to bring Jim to his characters as much as possible. You know, as much as yeah. that is possible, and it really isn't possible. But, but it's you know you do your best. <laughs> yeah. That's, so as we're kind of wrapping up here, I just, I just got one more I had to bring up for sure, sure. Uh, and that was this right here, dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and this. Man, talk about an amazing uh, feat to be taking on—a major undertaking, just, you know, bringing to TV. Yeah, uh, I couldn't imagine like what that was like. What, what was that like in comparison to the Muppets, for example? Well, it's funny because as you were thinking of the word feat, yeah. you know, an amazing feat, I was the same word was going through my head because that's exactly what it was. Right. It was one of the hardest things to ever shoot that there was. Um, it was. It was like a six day shoot, like a full long six day shoot that we did in five days. So the hours were insane on that show and, and the technology was, was great, but fairly new. You know, we were running these creatures from a box across the room from the character. There was another person inside of the costume, mm -hmm. uh, a suit performer. We had to be at a stage where we were really in sync with that performer in order for what I was going to say as a character, you know, to, to this person, Gosh, wow. you know, uh, some rehearsal, but we, I mean, quite a lot of rehearsal, but we got to the point where we were able to improvise with those characters, not in the show, but like between takes and oh. in sync, we'd have three people who were perfectly in sync without knowing what the person saying, doing the talking was going to say is we just got so in tune to each other. Amazing. You know, sometimes they had this telemetry, which was a wireless way of running these characters that would screw up all the time. The eyes yeah. were going crazy in the middle of the scene. 
Oh, no. A taxi would drive by and the, their radio would come through the signal and we'd hear, all right, pick up, do a pickup down the street. You know, and we could be down for an hour while they repaired it or something would break. But they had this. So we also had the option in the close ups to run a big fat cable to the character. So they were tethered and then the signal went through the cable, you know, from what we were doing. And it was almost as though there was a cable running between the performers that kept them in sync too. It was, it was really remarkable that we wow. were able to get the stuff we got out of that show. Yeah. Um, un unbelievable. I, you could just tell like, a lot of, a lot of work went into it, but yeah, it seamlessly came off. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot more sweat and going into it. That's for sure. <laughs> it was, it was, well, particularly literally for the guys who were in those rubber suits. Um, oh, yeah. And I can imagine, but yeah, it was, it was hard. It was a, it was a hard shoot, but I haven't looked at the show in a, in a long time, but, but, I, you know, people have seen it recently and they say it still holds up and it was very well written. Yeah. Um, and, and just, it's a nice piece of work. I'm glad I was able to be a part of it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> only will work. Uh, just kind of closing here. Uh, what kind of, you know, obviously uh, we got Caven, uh, Weldon, the IT guy. Uh, you know, what kind of future uh, plans do you have? You know, it's hard to make those plans because mm. I never really thought that we would, necessarily do cave in as long as we've done it um okay and frankly i haven't i haven't done a lot of aggressively trying to get cave in out there because I, I i started out seeing cave in as kind of this little fun experiment to play with you know for me to get better at editing and to keep the puppetry going i didn't see it as a real you know like a like a a real endeavor that i was going to go out there and try to sell you know so yeah. I don't know whether Caven will turn into anything that will last for a long time. I don't know. Um, I've I've got a bunch of other projects that are in my head. Um, you know, things that I wanted to do that I was thinking about while I was still a part of the Muppets. Um, oh, really? But but not Muppet related. I mean, the, these mm -hmm. were things that I would like to do on my own someday. And the truth is, if I'd stayed with the Muppets, I probably would have never even had the opportunity to pursue them because I was so busy. Right. Um, so a couple things like that. I'm 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 developing uh, an idea with a couple of former Muppet producers that I'm very close to. Oh, amazing! Um, okay, that I hope will happen. Um, there's a lot of hope around that project, yeah. and but it's it's the right people at the right time, and it's uh, it, it, I, yeah, I don't want to get into details on it because it's so right, early. right, yeah. But, yeah. It, but it's going to be it's going to involve doing things with puppets that. To my knowledge, nobody has done before. Oh, amazing. Um, really? That sounds new, interesting already. Yeah, kind of a new way of approaching puppetry that hasn't quite been done to the extent that that I hope we can do it. Uh, wow. in, in a show that would be, anybody can watch it, but we're aiming for, you know, the Fraggle Rock kind of age audience in a way, but it would be something oh, cool. to get into as well. It has a, a, quite a message to it. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens, you know. You have, That's amazing. you have to sell these things. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, uh, and literally, I keep this. I keep this show an open, revolving door. I mean, we would love, of course, mm. in the near future, to have you back on the show uh, if if you're free and willing. Um, sure. And and uh, anything you have coming up that you want to just plug, let me know. I'll be more than happy to, on my end, pump it out for you. Oh, I appreciate that very much. I'll I'll uh, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. Well, sign sign up to. Follow me on Instagram and you can find out yeah. when Kevin's going to be on. Are we, you know, and take a look and you'll always know when the show's going to happen. Perfect. Perfect. I, you know, it's funny with Kevin. I think I have as much fun doing my Instagram promos as I do the, doing the show. <laughs> yeah. I try to get really elaborate. You know, I think. I you mean, do. I, I try to do really interesting promos because it's fun. You know? It feels like, yeah, it's like, uh, it, it feels like an actual, like, uh, like a commercial commercial, you know, for yeah. he's yeah. shooting. I, yeah. I love, I love the creativity you put into it. Love your work. Uh, I'll be following you uh, moving forward. Uh, anything you do, I can't wait. Everyone check out Steve's website, www.stevewhitmeyer.website. Also check out his awesome show called Cave In with Weldon, the IT guy on YouTube. And he's on Instagram, Facebook, and go to IMDB to check out all of his amazing work. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. I really do appreciate it. You are so welcome, sir. I appreciate you having me on here. And it was a great conversation. Good questions. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed the show. For more great interviews and content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Legends and Master Show. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
Be sure to go to our website, www.legendsandmastershow.com and join our email list for all upcoming shows, events, and articles. See you on the next one. 